Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. NBC Sports, Football Morning and American columnist Peter King. What do you think about the Chase Thomas podcast? I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ. I was on the building yesterday, uh, still came, coming back from uh, some sickness over the last week and a half, so fighting back, uh, hopefully on the back end of that. But two guys who were in the building for what was one of the all-time great offensive showings, and it did not feel at all like 1985 that we were all having a great time. We were actually laughing. Uh, we were having fun all across the board. Rocky Top Insiders, Ryan Shumpert. Ryan, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. It was a, I mean, you said it pretty well, 1985 football mm-hmm. game. Uh, I said it was a, a Tennessee football win Jeremy Pruitt would be proud of. So <laughs> certainly uh, an interesting one at Newland Stadium, the breakdown. 
Uh, I think he would. I, I right there with you agree. Um, Jack Foster, also here of Always College Football and Rocky Top Insider. Jack, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Doing great. It's a great football Sunday. Got an early start with the London game. You know, it, was, it was an okay game. And then noon slate was fun. I know your Falcons completely. We don't have to talk about that. Fell apart, but you know. Sorry. It's a weird feeling because you're like, I don't want Desmond Ritter to be the quarterback. So you need kind of those bad games to just be like, all right, I, is yeah. that enough? I, am, because there's just so many great quarterbacks in this class for next year that I want to make sure Ritter's bad enough that they're like, no, we got to go quarterback in the first round next year. Because if they if he shows just enough, or you're like, ooh, we can keep going around. We can trade that pick if we're a bad team. Like, no, 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 no. I need it to be bad enough. Start Heineke and make the and potentially make the playoffs. You'd rather tank? Oh yeah. We're, I, I don't want to live in the Tennessee Titans world of just like taking quarterbacks in the second round and just false belief that you're still pseudo contending year over year. No, I, I have no interest in that whatsoever. No. Give me Shador, Michael Penix, whoever. Um, Drake May would be my ideal uh, with this offense and what they're trying to do. But um, yeah. I'm also all in on the idea of Shador Sanders back in Atlanta and with uh, Dion coming to games and just what that would be like. That place, Atlanta would just be on fire every single week. I would be completely here for it and i also think uh Shador is legitimately good but um we don't uh have to talk about all things uh, atlanta falcons on this program we can avoid that entirely we can talk about happier uh notes where this is just so weird because it's funny we talk about the falcons and maybe this is something with the titans too ryan that we can start because as someone who watches a lot of tennessee titans football a lot of bad offenses bailed out by good defenses do you at all feel guilty or should tennessee fans like, how should they approach a 5-1 and one start where the offense is playing the way they are and you have to just... It, it requires so much nuance to looking at where Tennessee is at this point. Like, should they be enjoying this? Do they have a right to complain about being 5-1 and because you make the Jeremy Pruitt joke? Like, how much can they really be upset or concerned about where things are headed when you're sitting at 5-1 and one at this point in the season? That's a good, good question. I mean, I think you can be concerned to a degree, but at the same time, the long-term thing is, you know, this, this Tennessee team's not going to, you know, what are you, what are you fooling yourself with? This Tennessee team's not going to achieve anything spectacular or uh, really, truly, I don't think, maybe don't prove me wrong this week in Tuscaloosa, a challenge for the SEC. So to me, this is a season, like you've said for a long time, and we've kind of said it's kind of a, uh, bridge season uh, for Tennessee, and I think they'll have some of those similar questions next year. But uh, just kind of enjoy the ride. You're trying to win as many games as possible, and just have the most as respectable as a season as you can, um, and keep as can much momentum, uh, you know, kind of snowballing forward in the program. But you're not going to win uh, anything of, of real significance this year. So I get being frustrated by watching bad offense, but at the same time. I think you kind of just have to embrace that for what it is to a degree and certainly shouldn't feel guilty uh, either on the other side of things uh, about, you know, celebrating or, or being excited about an SEC victory that was very, very ugly. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it, Jack. Do you do you agree with that sentiment or do you think it's it's OK to be more pessimistic or negative coming out of last night? I think coming out of last night. I was having this discussion with one of my roommate's buddies who is in town and he doesn't watch a lot of Tennessee football. And my roommates were pretty optimistic about the win. Of course, Tennessee mm. fans. And he was like, this team is not good. Uh, 
<laughs> and when you t- just take a step back and you look at what happened, Texas A&M is still a good SEC team, I think a top-half SEC team, with one of the best defenses in the nation. Mm. And the way Tennessee's defense played and the way Tennessee was able to win that game, the way Jalen Wright ran all over the SEC's best rush defense, there's a lot to feel optimistic about. But the one area that you can't feel optimistic about right now is the one area that has been so good in the hype layer at Tennessee. So it's a weird situation going on right now. I don't have a lot of optimism that Joe Milton can turn things around or that this passing offense is going to become good. But with the way Tennessee is playing around that, and in spite of that, I would overall be more... I think overall it's been more of a win. I guess I should put – I'd give Tennessee season grade right now a B. So that's where I stand. I think that's fair, and we'll get into um, what actually happened here and um, just kind of – it's interesting because I do feel like your sample size of your roommates and your friends is like – most people are positive coming out of this one. I think it's because of the last 15 years of just battered ball syndrome. Right. Yeah. Like they'll take the win. They're like, no, this isn't great, but like – Hey, there's a lot of old school guys too who are like, no, this we've been waiting for a defense like this for a very long time. We've been waiting for a James Pierce, like he's going first round uh when he enters the draft, like guaranteed that kind of guy. Like you have a Julius Peppers on the edge who just is gigantic and looming and just in the backfield at will, where they're sending doubles and he's still finding his way in. Like you just feel really good. Like Omar Norman Lott wasn't there yesterday and you didn't even miss him at all and i think that's an underrated talking point because of how good he's been uh all year long and it's also i think the most positive thing i can say about the offense is hey they knew that they were going to run the ball down your throat and they couldn't stop him we talked about coming into this game of like hey the biggest question was can tennessee run the ball when a&m a has a great rush defense and b knows that that's all tennessee can do at this point and tennessee won that battle they were able to say hey we're going to run the football down your throat and we also ended up running the ball down your throat because if that running game's not even half of what we saw uh especially in that second half tennessee's not winning that football game and i think the other thing i would say coming out there's no question in my mind if that game's played in college station tennessee's not winning that football game i think there was like that home bump for uh some of that stuff in max johnson some of the weird decisions too like jimbo fisher just running out the clock with 40 seconds there were all kinds of stuff where you're like man tennessee was tennessee had the better coach uh which was very evident uh throughout this one and that also played a role and i also just enjoy that hypel is very and you can see like why recruits like hypo when they say that he's real it seems like that's the most common sentiment from recruits is that hypo just is a real guy it feels like you have, a, you have a real conversation and he'll be real with you about what kind of player you are and what you need to work on hypo just being like that was like 1985 and joking about his daughter like to his daughter he's she's never seen him win a football game in that way and hypo like in the presser just being like didn't get a lot right pressed a lot of wrong buttons um going for it when he shouldn't have um, some really bad play calls in this one, some bad decision making in this one, especially in game management. Um, this was not Hypel's best game by any means, but it's refreshing that he owns all of it. He doesn't run from it. He's just like, nah, that was not great in this one. And we won a game that I never thought I would win because it was his first win as a head coach when he did not score at least 30 points. Like, that's kind of wild. Uh, that's where we're at. But I, I enjoy that Hypel is owning all of that and takes it all in stride. Uh, do y'all share that sentiment? Yeah, I mean, it's just like the anti-Butch Jones who yeah. was going to just do everything in cliches and was certainly never going to, you know, publicly admit that he was wrong about something. And so many football coaches are like that. So, uh, 
Yeah, I think that's certainly a sentiment you should have. And I think that's you talk about a lot of things that were odd about this game or weird about this game. You kind of said it with the battered ball syndrome. It feels like Tennessee wins that game one time out of 10 the last decade and a half. And mm-hmm. uh, But on the flip side, it's like, and you said it, like Josh Heupel was not very good yesterday. I feel like a game Josh Heupel wins one time out of 10 too. So it was uh, surprising so much in, in so many ways. So many, some ways it's like, yeah, Tennessee should have won. They played better. And I think they did. Mm-hmm. They moved the ball better than Texas A&M did. Uh, but on other ways, it was just like, wow, that, that win was kind of surprising from what we know about Tennessee and what we know about Heifel. So uh, I think that to your point and to kind of what Jack was saying about his, some of his friends is I th- why I think a lot of Tennessee fans are come out of this game with uh, a lot of positive thoughts. I agree. Tw- uh, 24 hours later though, Jack, what are you still thinking about from Tennessee's win over Texas A&M? I mean, the the fact they won in different ways is, I think, the big story and the big takeaway. But I'll go another route and say just Jalen Wright, mm. you know, making the case that he's the best running back in the SEC. You know, he had more yards on the ground yesterday, 136 against Texas A&M, than Alabama's Jason McClellan, Auburn's Jarquez Hunter, and Arkansas's Raheem Sanders had combined against this A&M defense. So, Jalen Wright's just ability to run right through a defense like that and have such good efficiency. It's not even like he broke a long run. And this has been a trend for Jalen Wright all year where he has an, a great yards per carry. I believe it was just over seven against Texas A&M and his long was 23 yards. So Jalen Wright is a, is just an absolute staple for six to eight yards per carry, it feels like, no matter what. And he's the best player on this Tennessee team, I think. And as long as he continues doing this, he's always going to give Tennessee a chance to win the game if they lean on him and it doesn't get too out of control too quickly. I like that. Do you share it, uh, Ryan, or do you have a different one? It's a kind of one that goes hand in hand. I'd say the thing that sticks with me most 24 hours later is it's it's just crazy to me how important Cooper Mays has been for the offensive line. Like, Hmm. we all knew he was important. Like uh, we thought that would make a big difference, but it's it's like a completely you know night and day different offensive line, and he was yeah. fantastic uh, again yesterday. And I think what you leave this game with is such conflicting feelings of wow, Tennessee ran Tennessee ran for two thirty two on a And M. Man, they can run anybody. They can go down mm-hmm. to the T town next week and they can run the football. They can run the football on Georgia uh, in Neyland, and that is such. If you would have told me that going into yesterday, I'd say, man, you know, you're talking about having some confidence that Tennessee can go and at least go into Alabama and win or, you know, at least be competitive in both those games. But you just leave yesterday going, Tennessee can't beat anybody. We're crap with Joe Milton playing quarterback, especially outside of Neyland Stadium. Uh, And just that dichotomy of how exceptional the running game was. And, like, man, Tennessee just, you know, I think I said on this program, multiple times earlier in the year that I thought this or at least worried for Tennessee's sake that this was going to be a run game that could run the ball really well on the middle class of the SEC and lower, but didn't have what it took to run against the best teams in the SEC. Well, they just had a fantastic running effort against probably the best run defense in the SEC. And uh, that completely kind of changes at least a lot about how I view the outlook of mainly just those Georgia and the Georgia and Alabama game, but a little bit of the rest of the season as a whole too. And it's also just what Joe was doing in the second half. I mean, he 
Joe will it'll be forgotten about, but Joe taking out AM's best player by just lowering his shoulder and just full on uh taking him out uh in that play was was huge. And Joe using his shoulder and Joe using his body. It's one of those things that's been missing all season long. And I get that they want to protect him and stuff, but it's like at a certain point when he's playing, like, what are you worried about protecting? Like that's it has to be a part yeah. of the offense. Like, what are we worried about? Like that annoys me more that those kind of called zone reads for the quarterback were not employed weeks ago because this offense runs so much better when Joe Milton is moving, when you have a quarterback that is comfortable moving and taking off because it's just, he's a big body. I mean, when he's not running out of bounds uh, on a free play short of the sticks, like little things like that, where you're like, that's never getting cleaned up. That's year six. That's just part of the deal. Um, You need to move on from that one. But when he's doing the right thing, running the football, you're like, oh, this is really good. This is like one of those. He's really hard to bring down. And you know who doesn't want to attack him in the second level? Cornerbacks and safeties. They're like, Joe Milton's a dude. And you saw it opening the season against Virginia where he just like run, literally just runs over Virginia defensive back. Uh, that became a meme. And I think that for me, I wonder if that's just part of the deal. Because I think you're going to have to employ that so much, especially with the play of Joe through the air and just the receivers is you wondered and kind of speaks to your Cooper point, Ryan, the offensive line has been so much better with him back the last two weeks, but it hasn't translated at all in the passing game. So it's like, okay, you thought that Cooper being back more time, things would be a little bit better, calmer, like uh, Cooper would settle stuff down. The run game is working and Cooper's been great there, but it has had zero effect on Joe Milne in the passing game whatsoever. And I think that's kind of a surprise is that, that's we're actually getting worse and that's like where if you're a fan you're like what do i do with this where you're like oh it's a long season we're five and one it's great but from the outside looking in like your friend jack where uh, jack your friend was looking at you're like no the passing game's actually worse like the passing game's actually never been in a worse spot and i don't see how that gets better the one positive i think is probably Chaz nimron looked good uh in this one i thought he had some good plays and he got he should have got a pass interference call uh deep down the field at one point but i thought nimrod looked uh like he he was solid um in this one but to flip the script a little bit here um the biggest moment of the game for you was what ryan the d williams special team sequence he mm-hmm. downs the downs the punt on the one yard line tennessee's defensively at the time i thought there was zero yard run zero yard run i think it was actually one yard run loss of one yard run and an mm-hmm. incomplete pass uh, and you know i think I think I said use the term everybody in the building. I don't know about that, but at least myself, I thought Tennessee was going to go for the block in that situation with the ball on what the six inch line after uh, Texas A&M took a delay game and pushed it back halfway. So uh, again, on on third down, and Tennessee just completely played to set up the return, and the blocking was really really good. D. Williams had one man to beat, and it was the twelfth man. And, he did what D Williams did, what he does to dudes that only play on special teams and aren't good enough athletes to play on the rest of the field. And he just absolutely took his ankles and gave Tennessee a lead. It wouldn't relinquish. And you, again, you continue to watch Tennessee the rest of that game. That's, it was going to be a challenge for the offense to find the end zone. So that was just, uh, to me, uh, completely changed the dynamic of the game. Is it D for you as well, Jack? Yeah, it has to be. It completely changed the course of the game and, you know, like Ryan said, they weren't doing anything offensively. Tennessee wasn't, and neither was Texas A&M. But it was just going to be a defensive struggle all second half, and if Tennessee didn't have that, don't think they win the game. So that and a uh, great runner-up, good honorable mention, 
is Texas A&M's Randy Bond missing the field goal, the mm. 50 yarder to it would have taken the a 16 14 lead. At the time. Mm. If he makes that field goal, I think the Aggies win. So mm. those two plays for me were one and two. I mean, that's another. I I like that point, and also just. <laughs> If the D stuff doesn't happen, if one of those things don't happen, I don't know if Tennessee wins this game. Like, it's just it's so weird to see them win in spite of the offense, where little things like D comes through in a big moment. Uh, downing a punt uh, in a certain spot was a huge moment. Um, the defense being as dominant as they were throughout. Uh, Jimbo not going for a score with 45 seconds on the road in that spot, where you're just like, what are you yeah. doing? Like you gotta, you gotta be aggressive, especially at Neyland in that spot. You've gotta be aggressive. And I understand, like the previous or two weeks ago, Shane Beamer tried to do the same thing, and they throw a pick six, and that completely flips the game. But you can't be scared uh, in Neyland, and you also can't be scared of this offense. Like that's the other part of it. Right. What are you worried about? Um, as long as you don't throw a pick six, what are you worried about with this Tennessee uh, passing game? Yeah, no, nothing. It's shown you nothing to be afraid of outside of the running game and yeah. you know, on that call originally i thought it was very dumb uh, that mm. they didn't take a timeout because they had all three i yeah. want to say so they'd have gotten the ball back with about a minute 20 left mm-hmm. um but yeah and, and then it and then i still think it was a bad call but yeah it was it would have been risky they were going to be backed up around the 10 15 yard line and max johnson had had a rough second quarter so Maybe that was just what they thought was best at the moment. I don't have a lot of problems with it, but yeah, you probably should be aggressive there. Yeah, well, um, I mean, SEC Mike, uh, Mike Bratton of that, that SEC podcast, he got a lot of Tennessee fans up in arms this afternoon about that offense. I don't know if you all saw the tweet about just yeah. how historically bad this Tennessee passing game is right now. They're currently 126 in the nation in pass plays of 20 plus yards. Only ECU, Utah, Eastern Michigan, Navy, and Air Force rank below yeah. the Vols. Um, I mean, it's just stuff like that where you're like, I, if I, we pulled each other, uh, after last year and we were like, Hey, will there ever come a time in the hype era where this, uh, passing game is in the barrens of SB FBS in 20 plus yard explosive plays? Would y'all see that ever happening? Or do you see hype sticking around or Tennessee winning football games? They're winning football games in an unbelievable way in the hype era. And I think no matter what hype does deserve credit for that. But I don't know, like Tennessee fans, I think this win, I don't know if y'all agree. Does this win cement eight and four? To me, it cements eight and four for this group. And oh. I think that's best case scenario. What do y'all think it can get higher? You think nine and three is a possibility? Nine and three is definitely a possibility. So who do you have the rest of the way? Because I have the guaranteed losses the rest of the ways. Mizzou at Mizzou, I've got Georgia and I've got Bama as the three guaranteed losses. Like there's no path to victory. You're not outscoring Mizzou. That's over. It's on the road. They're going to cook. Like, not sorry for the pun. It's over. It's over. Sorry, guys. I refuse to to ever say that it's over against Eli Drinkwitz in Missouri. It's time. Never am I going to say that about anything. Jack, it's time. So I do. I think Missouri's the third hardest game remaining. Uh, They beat Kentucky, so they have to be, right? Mm. But I just I, I'm not I, I still pick Tennessee in that game. I think nine and three is the number right now. Ooh, do you Jack, agree, no, Ryan? I think eight and four probably is the number. It, to me, it's not best case scenario. I mean, they definitely can go nine and three. Um, they can go ten and two. If I I think that's part of the eight. issue to me, right? Is like ten and two. Don't do this to fans, no, Jack. Listen, you can't listen, do this. Is not playing for Georgia. 
Yeah. Carson Beck, make it, it it's oh, going to be no. a long day. Oh, no. And if they can find a way to run on Georgia, they can maybe eke out that win. I would not pick it, even if Brock Bowers isn't active. But he's by far their best player, and he saved them a couple of times this season. I mean, that's fine. Kirby doesn't do no. how much film work does Kirby have to do for Joe Milton that week? What, what, what is it? What, like, how much is Kirby losing sweat over Joe Milton at home? You got one of the I biggest not, difference makers in the right now. You yeah. got two of the biggest biggest difference makers in the SEC right now on Tennessee's roster and Jalen Wright and James Spears. I agree with that. So I don't know. Jack, that's Jack, it, don't let don't let Chase give you a hard time. He this this midseason his record prediction, it's literally it's literally a bit. He's doing a bit right now. I'm not doing he, a bit. Two weeks ago you sat here and told me you thought Tennessee was going ten and two, and it was a hundred percent a bit. And I, I hold on. I thought that there, too. I it, it the the bottom no has fallen to... out in the passing game, Ryan. The bottom has fallen out. Where like there's no path. The bottom has fallen out for me. I can't. I also need for my own headspace to them not just do. You see what I'm saying? Like it's so complicated. Where I'm like, this is just. You can say like it's horrific what this passing game is, and it's unacceptable that it's gotten this bad. Like it, somebody has to be a fall guy for how bad this passing game is. I. I want names of what's going on here in terms of just like, is it receivers? Like, I can't wait for after the season, the after the season conversations about what happened here um, week in, week out. But I mean, I just the receivers aren't getting open. You're banged up. You're getting you got absolutely nothing out of Dante Thornton. And that ship's probably sailed at this point. Caleb Webb doesn't do anything yesterday in a in a spot. Well, Chaz Nimrod just got the start. and There's only so yeah. many steps to go around. So I think you could see a lot of rotation there. And Hypo had good things to say about Webb postgame. I mean, that's good. I mean, Webb played 32 snaps. It's not like he wasn't on the field for significant. Well, uh, all this, it, yeah, the receivers aren't great. And Ramel Keaton has been really bad. That's the one that's where. That's the big one for me. But it all falls on Joe Milton just not being good at all. So. Mm. I just can't yeah, see 93. That's, that's where it starts. I mean, it's. I just don't know how you don't watch Tennessee run for 232 on A&M and be like, Tennessee's not going to move the ball against Missouri. Yeah. I mean, they're going to be on the road. The We've seen like, Joe Milton on the road in the SEC. Yeah. Like, I'm not scared of Como, it, though. And I think it's hey, a hard you don't game, just walk into I, Como uh, on a nooner on the SEC network and just expect to come out with a dub, Jack. You just don't do that. With where you're at, where you were at a few weeks ago on it, Chase, where you said, you know, Tennessee, if the game's at noon, Tennessee's fine. If the game's at yes. night, and it's over. Like, I'm kind of not quite to the, the degree of that statement, but that's kind of where, where I'm at with that game right now. What do we think? Is it going to be a nooner? What's the schedule that weekend for the SEC? Is, that, sure. look, is that looking like a nooner? Let me go look it up. Because Kentucky's definitely going to be a night game. I feel like they always put Kentucky always in Tennessee night at game. night. Yeah. As you see, I mean, I, I had a joke a few years ago on Twitter that Jordan Rogers and Tom Hart and Cole Kubilek, like, I, they got to just have, they just got to have homes at this point in Lexington because <laughs> there was a, a three-year stretch where they didn't leave the state during the season. And I actually think, like, one of, I think Nicole Kubilek and with Greg, their radio show, like, tweet. So I think there was a, there was something to that that people weren't too happy. <laughs> Jack, do you have an insight into Greg when he's coming back to Knoxville? Do you know? Um, I don't think Greg will call a Knoxville or a Tennessee game this year. Ooh. Hmm. I just don't see it happening. Who did he call last year for Tennessee? Just the Orange Bowl. Was that it? Yep. He called hmm. Tennessee, Alabama in 21. 
maybe another. I wasn't working with him at that I remember time. Alabama in 21. That, yeah. yeah. And I'm actually surprised that we got CBS back-to-back for Tennessee. Um, I thought Tennessee-Bama would be at night. Oh, it's the slate. Yeah, we'll look at the slate next week. It's Is it horrific. bad? Yeah, it's a horrific slate. Um, Ole Miss-Georgia, I would assume, will be the CBS game that week. Yeah. Which, there's Alabama-Kentucky, Florida-LSU, Auburn-Arkansas, South Carolina-Vanderbilt, Texas A&M, Mississippi State. To me, it seems like it'll be the one of the ESPN night game, SEC network night game, or ESPN noon game seem to be the most The difference between 9-3 and 8-4. and four. Decision makers, I need y'all to do your work. Put this on at noon. If it's at night and cold and everything else, and it's uh, that kind of environment, no. I don't like it. Ferret filled, man. You don't just come in and win. No. Field. You don't just, as, Van, or as Georgia learned yesterday, you don't just walk into West End in Nashville, <laughs> Tennessee, and have an easy win against the Vanderbilt Commonwealth. That doesn't happen. No. Um, best and worst from Josh Heupel this week, coaching-wise, for you, Jack. What was the best thing he did in this game, coaching-wise, and what was the worst thing he did in this game, coaching-wise? Um, okay, so the worst thing, I'll start there, because the fourth and seven going for it, I did not like. I would kick there, and I know Charles Campbell missed the 50-yard field goal prior to that, but I'm kicking there every day of the week, and it's in. You put the ball in Joe Milton's hands too. So what did what did he, what had he shown you at that point to where you felt comfortable, or there was a good chance you were going to pick that up? So going for that, I didn't like it all. It'd been a 47 yard field goal, I believe. It was from the 30. The best thing, I think, there weren't too many to choose from. Yeah, I'm I'm struggling to think. I would honestly just say the commitment to Jalen Wright, 19 carries mm-hmm. as a season high. And, of course, he had season-high yardage, but just featuring him as much as possible in a game like that. And, you know, Dylan Sampson and Jabari Small are fine backs, but Jalen Wright was on another level than them last night. And the disparity was evident yesterday more than any other game this season. So just leaning on him and making him the clear-cut number one back, which I know he's been, but just leaning on him almost 20 carries, that, that was a really good thing to do last night. That's an interesting one. I it, do you share that, Ryan? I share the negative uh, or the bat. His worst mistake was the fourth and seven. Like that one mm. to me just made no. That just made no sense. Like you got. I, they were p- clearly playing for it because they ran on third and nine and got mm. two yards. And they should have abandoned ship yep. when they got two yards. Like that's not. <laughs> I, I said it on our RTI podcast. Four, fourth and seven is not a down and distance that you say and, and feel comfortable in what Joe Milton's going to be able to do. Granted, not a ton of them are, but uh, mm. fourth and seven certainly isn't one of them. The other ones, you know, go for it, don't go for it. Almost all of them went against Tennessee, so they're, you know, kind of by that bad decisions. But I didn't think any of the other ones were awful, really. Like, I kind of understood the logic of them. What, to me, was bad is you got first and goal in the six-yard line or trying to ice the game, and Jalen Wright's not in the game. I mean, it's exactly. That is the exact opposite of what Jack's saying. Like, I get Jabari Small is your most trusted guy, and was it wasn't Jalen Wright who fumbled that ball on third down at the end of the first half, was it? I think that was Dylan Sampson off the top of my it head. Was I'm not positive. Yeah. yeah. So, like, what's why are we concerned about Jalen Wright's ball security? He fumbled it a couple times a full calendar year ago. It hasn't been a problem. He's your best running back. Score a mm-hmm. touchdown to put the game away. He needs to be in the game. Um, so that to me would have been my number two thing that I just left really 
And it, it probably didn't feel like a massive decision compared to a lot of other ones, but I was just super puzzled by it. Um, and then I would say on the positive, it's, you know, it's really just things that his uh, assistant coaches did. Tim Banks was fantastic, had a great, great game plan. I think he deserves a, a ton of credit for a second straight week. Um, Tennessee's defense has been really good in an SEC game or two times out of three. Uh, obviously, had an open date last week. And, you know, it kind of feels like Tim Banks is a lot of really good. And then he's just got like the one or two just really bad performances that year. So they kind of need to get rid of that. But after you left the Florida game feeling like he was maybe not on the hot seat yet, but starting to flirt with it after the South Carolina and Florida performances within however many games of each other they were, five or six. Um, and then at the same time, you know, I talked about it earlier. I thought obviously the decision not to go for the block punt and to try to set up your return uh, was a really smart one. So credit to, to Mike Eckler and Tim Banks. I think Josh Heifel's assistants making good decisions were, were the, you know, the best thing from the coaching staff yesterday. Yeah. Um, also should not be allowed to say who's available and who's not each week. Uh, Danico Slaughter got 10 snaps and the hole where we were expecting Danico to play. And it's like, I keep looking over. And that's the other thing is like, uh, Kamal Haddon's been legitimately good the last few weeks. Like Kamal's legitimately been good. Gabe Julie was not good in this game. And I saw a lot of like, they deserve credit for what happened. And I was like, Gabe was getting picked on left and right and was getting torched left and right in this one. He graded pretty poorly by PFF in this one. Um, Two things are true. One, Kamal Haddon was elite in this one and has been very good in coverage. The last few weeks, Gabe Judy Lolly has not been good at all. Um, and that pick was just was sitting in zone and it was like kind of like the Kamal thing where it just kind of fell right to him. Both picks were very easy to make. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I agree to Gabe Judy Lolly wasn't great, particularly compared to Kamal Haddon, who has played really well the last two games. It's not called three catches for 46 yards given up. They were picked, uh, picked they, around left and right. That, that wasn't happening. I mean, you you called Elijah Herring unplayable in the second quarter. Unplayable. He probably had the best game of, of, a Tennessee, of a Tennessee linebacker yesterday. So Hold on. Leave the, group chat, leave the group chat alone, Ryan Shumper. We're not over here. Hey, in-game chase is a totally different animal than 24 hours removed chase. Like, it's a, it's a different breed. And so I'm giving coaching fines, buyout fines. Like, I'm doing all kinds of stuff in the group chat. I think it was my favorite text of <laughs> all kinds of firings have to happen. <laughs> but so your game Julie Lolly criticism is more fair. I just think how you just described it made it sound a, a whole lot worse than it was. Now, if they played a better passing offense, that, you know, to your point, yeah. that might have happened. But they just need Danico back like, next week. Danico yeah, has got to be back in this lineup next week. Like he's not, I don't think he's injured. So, and he, mm. he played eight snaps and gave up. 20 yard reception on one of them so it's not like he was so you think you see her, judy lolly's just ahead of him now and at least in the coaching staff I mean, the coaching staff likes him more or is rolling with him over him i mean you you don't play 20 snaps over two two weeks with a bye week in the middle of them mm. and yeah to me yeah, think like healthy, serious right? it, yeah yeah exactly mm. this is interesting i uh ryan ask him about it this week it'll go over well just be like hey uh, what's real with Danico Slaughter? Is uh, is he hurt or is he number four on the depth chart now? I didn't see Warren Burrell in this game, by the way. Was he out? Did he play? He didn't play. And Brandon Turnage and Slaughter were the backup corners who got a little bit of playing time. But no, there was there was no Warren. At least not on defense. Maybe he played special teams. Um, obviously, yeah. there was no injury announced. Like It feels like we, jo- we joked about it all offseason. Like, Tennessee just needs to find some separation at corner. And they have found it with 
uh, what Kamal Haddon has done, but yeah. still like two to two to six on the depth chart. It's like, you know, <laughs> shuffle a deck of cards, pull one out, choose, throw a random guy in there each week. It, it's still not the same after him. Um, Joe Milton, just how bad was Joe Milton this week? Jack Foster. And is there any positives that you pull from this performance for Vol fans going into Alabama week? Funny, Josh Heupel was asked that uh, post game. What was something positive you saw from Joe Milton? And he took a minute to answer because I'm sure it was hard to pause and answer. And he said, just the fact that he gets ready to compete every play, which is like, oh, okay. Was that really his first thing he said when he was asked this question? Yeah. Just his um yeah, his, his like competitiveness and fighting for his team every play like that. The positive from what he did on the field is that he ran pretty well. Mm. That that's the only thing. As far as the passing goes, and the the Keaton touchdown would have helped his numbers a little bit, and that was a pretty good throw. But yeah. It, it but was, you also it, scored a touchdown on that drive. I think people keep yes. citing that one. I'm like, they scored a touchdown yes. on that drive. Like, it didn't matter in the fact of the game, but a 42 yeah. or touchdown for Joe would have looked better. He just still yeah. had one touchdown, but he had more yards, and you'd have remembered that play rather yeah. than a flat to Jacob Warren that was easy mm. money. But yes, yeah, he was horrific last night. There were so many times, countless, where a receiver or a pass catcher would be open in the middle of the field, and I see him staring at him. Mm-hmm. Like, he sees it, and he's not getting pressure he's got a clean pocket and he's just not throwing the ball i literally don't know what what was going on with joe milton last night and i've been a joe milton defender for the majority of this season but last night was other level bad he's holding on to the ball way too long his pocket presence was really bad even for him last night because that's the worst part about his game it was not good at all not good at all and uh, there brian made this point on the rti postgame podcast that there were a couple of times to where if Joe Milton would have made a better throw, they'd have probably got a DPI call. But the throws are so bad, so just sailing out of bounds or way over someone's head or way too deep that it's uncatchable. Mm-hmm. And honestly, they got some calls that I probably would not have given them because the balls were uncatchable, but it was one or two DPI calls they actually got that were you know a benefit. So... It was really bad. Not is Ramel just surprised in the balls on the money on the money now? Like because so many of those are behind him over the middle, where it's like when he he's now dropping the easy ones because it's like oh it's actually where it was supposed to be that time. Is that I wonder if that's part of Ramel? He just cannot get in a groove with him. Feels like his first target of the season was a dropped wide open touchdown. So I'm not sure. I'm just trying to be positive about Ramel. It it hurts my soul that Ramel has been as bad as he's been all year. Like just it it just hurts me. Josh Heupel on what he liked about Joe Milton's performance. Uh-oh. Through all the ups and downs, he continued to fight, continued to compete, continued to be willing to go out there and play the next play. And it's where it starts as a competitor. So love that part. There's things that offensively all 11, we got to be better, coaches included. So basically, yeah. And it's yeah. tough too, because like you can't even like, I've moved on from the, it's Nico time. Like I shout out to Rob Lewis at VolQuest, uh, leading his, uh, the, uh, post gamer, um, with what else? What are we sure Nico can't do? What Joe, you're getting from Joe at this point? Uh, the, the people who are worried about, um, well, are he must be worried because like that's the other part is now there are fans who are like, oh well, what does Nico like at practice? Uh, if he can't be better than the Joe, it's like it's not a practice thing. That's not what's happening here. Uh, well, I, I have a thought on this. Okay, go for it. And Joe is very 
conservative and tentative. Mm-hmm. And it he made the really bad interception where he shouldn't have thrown it. But for the most part, like I said, he's holding on to the ball too long. He's not trying to take any chances. Yeah. And that's probably a product of the coaching staff a little bit too. But anyway, uh, maybe Nico's the total opposite. And Nico's just going to come out firing. And, you know, like if he makes a bad play, then he makes a bad play. So maybe the downside with Nico is actually worse because he's going to take so many more chances. And that's mm. more opportunity for turnovers. But obviously the highs are going to be higher than anything Joe Milton's doing. Also, that fourth and seven rollout call is like, oh, that was a Nico call. Like that's like if you have Nico Yamaliava uh, on that play, I think that's okay play call on fourth and seven. Joe Milton was never fi- threading the needle there on a rollout where he's not able to plant his foot and just like has to wait and uh, try hit like a sideline uh, foot planted grab. Uh, I don't even know who it was. Was that Ramel on the right hand side that he tried to fit it into? Uh, yeah. Like that's not going to happen. That's a Nico type throw. So I, I don't know. I mean. That's wild that that was hype bulls first because I it's just what are you going to say because I read the comments too like I'll see different posts and they're like that's our guy like I think Kale pairing had something under uh, a Joe Milton post on Instagram that I saw like he's just he's so likable and every fan wants him to do well and I think he just leads the locker room he's the leader you can't make this change and the other part of it is like you're winning like it's one thing if you're losing week in week out with Joe and these offensive performances are happening but you're winning so you can't make this change like you're five and one and he's been awful but i mean you just can't do it i think the talk can't make it sorry go ahead well i think we're gonna say the same thing you can't do it going and going to alabama and then Mm -hmm. on the road again at at kentucky i mean you can it's just not a time you're gonna make a change especially after a win so you're right i mean it's i've always been hesitant to say Tennessee's, you know, Nico's just better than Joe because I, I did not watch Nico Yamaliava play any significant football in his entire life. So who am I to know what Tennessee has in Nico? But to your point, it's hard for me to think that yesterday Nico could have been any worse than than Joe Milton was. I, I mean, it, it's very hard to fathom that being possible. Well, I go back to the field goal miss from AM, and that was after Milton threw the end zone pick. If they make that field goal and win the game, we're talking about that end zone pick a lot more and how that lost Tennessee the game. And then maybe the talks of a quarterback change are getting ramped up, even though Bama is next week and you know there's more buzz around that. So, yeah, it, it, it's a couple of other things could have fallen Texas A&M's way to where we're talking about that a lot more. I guess is the point I'm trying to make. I also just think we're going to learn a lot more because like, he's gotten through to this point. You're halfway through the season, and we've talked about what the record will be. We're talking about nine and three eight and four with joe riding the rest of the way and if this staff thinks joe if they can keep him uh, to this point in like look the uh, the running game being as dominant as it is the offensive line being healthy and the defense being as good as it is i think there's this belief of like let's not rock the boat if we can still find it because that's the thing that drives me nuts is there people there are still fans who are like we control their own destiny like tennessee can still get to atlanta like no this team cannot get to atlanta let's just uh, i i want everyone to be like reasonable with this tennessee offense and what they can actually be because it's like no they're they're not going 11 and 1 that's that's not happening this team got in who they were on the road at Florida, like that's still going to rear its ugly head. I think um, one of these road SEC games that they have left to go. So when you think about all that, I just think, Hey, if you can get to nine and three 
with Joe and it's ugly and it's terrible, but you can get there and then maybe win a bowl game or make the change <laughs> for the bowl game. Be like, hey, Nico, do you want to get your first start in bowl game against some second teamers who we're playing? Probably not. But I mean, I get the idea of just let's get out of this year and just get to Nico next year with a bunch of new guys and everything else. But like if we believe in our heart of hearts that we can get to nine and three, even with this version of Joe Milton, why make a change? But if you feel like seven and five, six and six is on the table, then obviously you have to make different choices. But I think because they've won enough, I don't think the staff is just like we're rocking the locker room boat. And I I understand that. That's the point is the the locker room point, Mm. you know, is especially like you're right. So she's not winning this season. That's not happening. But as long as that's this, this, you know, that's possible to do. And you talked about all offseason that that's your goal is to win the SEC. Mm-hmm. You're not going to make a change with the guy at quarterback that everybody likes and you're still alive in that boat. I'm doubtful to your point that they're going to do that even if they split the next two games um, at Alabama and Kentucky. But no, you're right. And it does feel like just – it's like what I said at the beginning when we're talking about how Tennessee fans should feel about this game. This team's not going to accomplish any great championships. This is about maintaining as much – respect and positive momentum uh moving forward where the program is where you look at this season and say yeah Tennessee doesn't expect a step back how could you not losing the quarterback and receivers that they did but they were still very respectable one of the you know top teams in the SEC uh and it's clear that Josh Heifel and his staff still have this thing moving very much in the right direction yeah I, I think so um last thing on all of this before we talk Alabama real quick and wrap up here uh the wide receivers who are picking up more uh, attention. I think that's also helping the Joe Milton conversation is guys aren't getting open. Y'all are eyes in the sky. Y'all are seeing you said, Jack, you mentioned J- Joe missing some guys uh, in this one. I mean, how much of it is fair to put on the receivers to put on Ramel Keaton, who's had a horrible, horrible year? Um, the loss of Brew McCoy, even what we saw from Brew McCoy earlier, how much of it is on the receivers not getting that separation and not helping bail out Joe Milton, um, similar to the way that Cedric Tillman and Jalen Hyatt and company bailed out Hendon Hooker when he was in the move and had to make plays last year. Yeah, I don't put a whole lot of blame on the wide receivers. They haven't been great, but like I said, there's so many times where I see guys open in the field and Joe's just not throwing it. And he's, you know, just the pocket presence is bad. So I don't have strong feelings that the receivers have been really bad this year. Keaton's had some awful, awful drops. I don't think he's been good. The squirrel white for the most part has been good. They're just not mm-hmm. getting involved. And I really just think that's because of Joe. Um, and there's not a, there's not a first round receiver on this team, you know, especially now with brew So there's not a big difference maker, but like I said, I, I'm not going to put a whole lot of stock into it. So. Okay. I like it. Do you agree, Ryan? I put more stock into it. I mean, Milton's definitely the biggest problem. Like, don't get me wrong there, but especially with Brew McCoy out, like this is a below average receiving court. There's just not really uh, any difference makers. If it is, it's Squirrel White. He's the one guy, uh, but there's, you know, Tennessee doesn't have really anything else special. And I think it's certainly an issue that compounds itself. And I'm not, this is not a unique thought. I can't remember who I, I've heard say it the first time. I think I've heard multiple people say it, but, you know, Joe Milton, it, it's, Seems like he's a guy his entire life playing football. He has not had to throw people open. He's got the arm strength. He can make every throw. His arm strength's so good that he can wait for people to get open. Well, this is a receiving core and an offense where he's going to have to throw some people open. It's just so good. You can 
trust him to get wide open. And to Jack's point, there were some times yesterday that guys were running wide open over the middle, and he looked like Malik Willis wasn't letting it rip. But uh, there are that is a, a part of it too, where he's I feel like waiting for guys to get open when he needs to. You need a quarterback with this receiving court. You need a quarterback that's good enough to throw some guys open or put put the ball. Trust uh, the receiver's going to be there and put it in a spot uh, that, again, as you see him be more tentative, it just doesn't feel like he does that a ton. So there's issues on both of them. Tennessee's receivers, I think, are doing Milton not many favors, um, but certainly Milton, you know, deserves. That's the bigger issue right now in the passing game. Does Hypo get a statue if they go nine and three with the worst quarterback in the conference? <laughs> Is he really the worst quarterback in the conference? I, you kept saying that yesterday. Yes. I, I wasn't no. really thinking I don't about think it. You can say that. Who's worse? Who would you take Joe Milton over right now in this offense? Um, I, I mean, I don't think Peyton Thorne's that good. But would you rather have Peyton Thorne? No, I actually probably wouldn't. That's actually that's a good. <laughs> I mean, it's. Well, that's it. I, We're at the bottom of the barrel. That's what I'm saying. There are 14 teams in this who's, conference. Yeah. Who's playing for Vanderbilt these days, the quarterback? Yeah. AJ no, Swan yeah. Vanderbilt's been better. Hold on. Swan was putting up numbers. Right I, Seals? I, I would take either of them over, Joe. I think about, they're having better what, years. What about something I did not think was going to mm-hmm. be a conversation, but Devin Leary being one of the worst I'm quarterbacks. Say that, yeah. that guy's had a horrific year. It's true. Like uh, I think he's kind of been worse than Milton. I don't know about that. He's made but, more mistakes. Yeah. Oh, what have you seen from Devin Leary that's been like, oh wow, that was good. God, you, you know what I just know what you've been heavy thinking about is Devin Leary versus Joe Milton in a couple weeks. Like we're <laughs> we're very close to we, Jalen Wright versus Roy Davis. That's true. The next two weeks are gearing up to be some spectacular run run pass punt football game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Tennessee, Alabama, and Tennessee, Kentucky, those those two matchups are we do not trust our quarterback very much. Uh, let's run the football, run the football, mm-hmm. pass it when we have to, put it back to the other team and play defense. Great. So what I'm saying is expect more 1985 football in the next two weeks. I think we might be – probably not to the extent we saw it against Texas Santa, but I think we might see some more of it. I agree. Uh, going into Alabama, quick thing. Uh, we'll wrap on this. Uh, Ryan, do you the, – the line came out plus 10 – for uh, Alabama, or Alabama's favored by 10. Going into this one, do you, a week out, feel like Tennessee wins this outright? Do they cover? Or do you think uh, this is a Alabama comfortable win on the road? I definitely don't think Tennessee wins. Um, yeah, I, I would say probably maybe lean a little bit more comfortable Alabama win just with the fact of, having Tennessee's passing offense and what they did at Florida and their only road game so far this season in the back of my head. But, you know, you can't sit here and watch Arkansas give Alabama a four quarters game in Tuscaloosa yesterday and be like, oh, I can't see Tennessee keeping this one competitive because, you know, I absolutely can't. And again, like what we learned about Tennessee yesterday is that they can run the ball or I I think they can run the ball against Alabama and Georgia. I'm really confident they can run the ball against Alabama. Um, The key is going to be to stay out of, First and 15, because it, we talk about so much of how good Jalen Wright is. There's still a, not a ton of 30, 40 yard run in this offense. It's a lot of 15 yard run, seven yard run, eight yard run. And that's a lot more effective. And you can lean on that a lot more when you're not playing behind the sticks every down uh, or every set of downs like they were at Florida. Do you share that, Jack? 
Yeah, I was just going to say, you can't, after watching Milton yesterday, you can't say you feel comfortable with Tennessee's chances to win, but it will be close. Uh, and it'll be close for 60 minutes. And the thing about it is, and it goes for Alabama too, because if Milrow plays really well for four quarters, then they're going to be rolling too. But if Milton can somehow figure something out, and this, if a wide receiver can somehow emerge and have a really big day, then Jalen Wright keeps going. If James Pierce and Tyler Barron keep wrecking quarterbacks, I mean, I, I feel like Tennessee has a good chance to win. So it, if that it's, – it's a big if, but if that can somehow get turned around, Tennessee turns into a really, really good football team. But right now, can't feel – can't pick Tennessee confidently at all. I'd still pick Bama by about a score. Yeah, I I agree. I think Tennessee actually covers. I don't think Tennessee wins this game. I would be absolutely floored if Tennessee wins this game. I think it's their most losable game on the schedule from here on out. But – I do think that Alabama is just what they've shown this year and Tommy Reese in this offense, this is going to be a game. And I think Tennessee will be in it late. And yep. um, I would be surprised if Alabama won by 10 plus in, in this one. That's where my my head's at. But I also think, to Ryan's point, it's going to be low scoring. It's going to be a lot of run, run, pass, punt. And it's going to be ugly, uh, my guess, on both sides. Both fans are not going to enjoy this game. It's my guess. Like last <laughs> yeah. year, we saw so much fun on both sides of the ball. This year, I think both both fans are just going to be in hell. Like I'll be in New York watching this at the Tennessee Sports Bar uh, with some friends, and like it's just I, I can only imagine uh, for the good folks who are attending and just sitting in the stands, like oh my god, like it's going to be seven to three going into the half or something, multiple picks on both sides, and it's just not, it's just not fun. I, I have a hard time believing this is going to be an enjoyable experience for anybody involved on Saturday. Yeah, it's what piques my interest from this is I. I'm going to be hilarious reviews from Chase Thomas watching a Tennessee-Alabama game at New York, Tennessee, UT Sports Bar from, I think it's a lot of casuals and very mm-hmm. uh, unknowledgeable fans at that place from uh, a friend that lives in New York City has been a time or two, uh, which Ooh. can make for a fantastic <laughs> combination uh, with Mr. Thomas. Am I getting thrown out? Am I getting like? Am I getting assaulted by fellow Vols? Is that what you're hinting at, Ryan? No, I don't think you're getting. I just think you're gonna like when this game is inevitably like awful in the third quarter and like mm. so it just is gonna feel so winnable to Tennessee. Like they mm-hmm. had confident quarterback play. You're gonna just want to like kill the people around you. I guess it'd be more <laughs> you maybe maybe assaulting them. <laughs> No, like the first person who's like, Joe's getting better as season goes, shut up! <laughs> That's enough! Casual. I'm just uh, shouting at people. Yeah, it's great. And then yeah. like, they're like, I and don't you're know. You're screaming about how unplayable Elijah Herring is in the second quarter, and people are like, who, who is Elijah Herring? We've yeah. never heard <laughs> or they're that like, Dante Dante Thor- or life. Somebody is just like, Dante Thornton looks good. Why doesn't he play more? And I'm like, that. I'm just losing my mind. I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. Would love Dante Thornton to play more. I would love Dante Thornton to do a single thing this season. That would be nice. One moment. Do hey, we get fu- one? It's funny, Joe. One of Joe's most accurate passes yesterday ended up being caught by a Tennessee receiver he, that was not attended for. I mean, he threw that ball right between Dante <laughs> Thornton's hands, right on the chest, and then boom, assist. Uh, a little hockey assist for Joe Milton to, to McCollum Castles on a big third down conversion. Oh my god. Oh, what a what a time. Uh Jack Foster, Ryan Shepard, always a pleasure. I'll talk to y'all next week. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. 
As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, but you're interviewing, mm-hmm. you're, um, pleasantness, you're smart. So I think I'm going to hear big things about you. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah.